powerful in the universe. Hey, you are healer, a way maker. That's who you are, Lord. That is who Sunday morning rehearsals make a difference. We thank y'all for that. Uh, you got some open mics, right? You got some open mics, right? Yeah, I got some open mics. Hey, open mics if you come to rehearsal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mics are like Doritos. Fill all of them and we'll make some more. God, it's good to see y'all here today. We are just glad to be here. What a beautiful fall day. Just thank you got up this morning. This morning when I rode, somebody said, I didn't have no doubt. And you got up with the Lord on your mind. And you were intentional about coming to worship this morning. Despite the obstacles that may have been in your way, all of them moved away. Lord, let you come to be here today. And I'm so glad we met in this place. We got up with the same thing on our mind. Yeah. And I'm glad you came. We started a few weeks ago sermon series. Lessons that we can learn from classic rivalries. I'm grateful that we've been able to push through two sermons so far. Talked about Cain and Abel and the lessons we learned from those siblings. Talked about David and Goliath, the lessons we learned from having giants in our lives. Giants, they do fall. They do fall. Today we're going to take a little different turn. Probably a non-traditional rivalry. You might say, hmm, they're rivals, they can be. And in this instance, absolutely. Today, if you will, I want to talk about Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah. Yeah. 
by a show of hands, how many of y'all know the story of Samson? Raise your hand. Look at that. One theologian referred to Samson as the Bible's juvenile delinquent. He didn't know that. Yeah. Judges is the book of the Bible that we'll be in. Judges. And if we're honest, we have to discuss that which happens from chapter 13 through chapter 16. Clearly, I can't read all that for you. Um, but I do commend it to you for your reading. You'll find it very fascinating. The life of Samson is a fascinating. It is an exercise. And something that people, I think, take for granted. By, by the standards, DeWan, Samson was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. By those standards, he was born with a silver spoon and ruined it. Ruined it. Yeah. So I'm going to read starting in chapter 16. I'm going to start verse 15 and read a few of those verses for you. The action verses. Ooh, there's so much action up until that point. 16 and 15, if you would, let me read it in your hearing. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. And I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with their silver in their hand. Having put him to sleep on her lap. She called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called excitedly, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left. I'm going to stop reading that. Some people are born into privilege with all the advantages you can think of, many advantages anyway. And even though they're born into privilege, they still can't seem to succeed. Even with all the advantages, still just don't seem to be able to be successful. But then there are others who are born just the opposite. Born to, by earthly standards, what we would say is nothing. 
And despite the meager beginning, despite the humble beginning, the humble resources or meager resources, they are able to achieve great success in life. Samson was an example of the former, born into privilege, born into wealth by that day's standards, loved, nurtured, appreciated by his family. Everything you would call a plus in his life was there for him. And he was also born at a special time in Israel's history. Israel was working out this thing called a relationship with God, even though God had called Israel his chosen people. They were still struggling, realizing to realize what kind of relationship God expected them to have because he had one thing in mind and they certainly had something else in mind. And so seven times they had gone through this cycle of what the Bible calls apostasy, rebelling against God. God would, as he did from the beginning, identify them as the apple of his eye. They would love him for a minute. And then they would rebel, start falling into idol worship. And God would send someone in to slap hell out of them. And they'd come back again saying, oh, we sorry. This has gone on seven times. Seven times. This time, the Lord had allowed the Philistine, hated Philistine, to come in and to subject Israel to oppression for 40 years. They had been ruling over, over Israel. The Philistines were their worst enemy, and here they are now subjected to them for 40 years. It was a dark time. They needed something to change. The name Samson means sunshine. And so in the middle of this apost apostasy or this dark period, God sends sunshine to Israel. Darkest days of the nation's history. And he sent them a rescuer. Now, when Samson came, he became a Nazarite based on the training he had at home and his choice. Nazarites had some very specific life guidelines that had to be followed. Nazarite, which means different or separated or set aside. First thing as a Nazarite, he was to have no fruit or wine from the vine. Could not have. All right? No wine, no fruit from the vine. Second thing is he could not be near or touch a dead body. Either animal or human. Could not be in the presence of. And the third thing is as an act of humility, an act of really, at that time, public scorn. He never could cut his hair. All right? These things. Now, the act of keeping his hair 
unshorn or uncut was an outward sign to others, but it, inside it was an inward acknowledgement that, Lord, I am setting myself aside for you, and my hair is an indication that I belong to you. These three things were paramount. And as he obeyed the Nazarite rules, God showed favor on him, blessed him. And the blessing specifically that Samson got from the Lord was great strength. Great strength. I mean, this is, this is, this is great strength. Somebody say, well, what did he look like? And of course, immediately, you know, folk like The Rock come to mind, you know, Samson looked like The Rock. And perhaps he did. Perhaps he did, you know, have a muscular build. But I can tell you this, you and I know this just from what we read, the little bit we've read. Clearly, he didn't look too different from other men because in the, in the instance that I read, Delilah had to keep asking him, what's the source of your strength? So it was clearly not something that was apparent that made him super, super strong. All right. How strong was he? In one instance, Samson was able to alone kill 1,000 Philistines with a jawbone from a donkey. That was his weapon. Jawbone, Samson. 1,000 folks. That's how strong he was. They could not subdue him. Another one, upset with the enemy, Samson physically showed them that there was no barrier that could prevent him, prevent him from getting to them. So he physically lifted the gates of the city and moved them, which I'm sure at that point provoked them to move back. <laughs> Yeah, they got a new boundary that day. And there was also a time that he confronted a wild lion and he destroyed it with his hand. So that's just it. Know this, this is important. Samson's strength was God-given. It was supernatural. It wasn't something he could just call upon. It was something that was given to him as a gift from the Lord. In fact, if you'll go and study those instances in this these passages of Scripture, when Samson exercised this 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 extraordinary strength, it always says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But not only was he strong in body, Jared, he was also mentally strong. Oh, God had blessed him enormously. He was strong in body, mind, and spirit. Sharp-witted. Loved riddles. Always giving riddles and had a great sense of humor. Can I tell you? He had the whole package. He's strong. He's smart. He's funny. He's the life of a party. And that's his problem. That's the problem, because when you're the life of the party, at some point you got to learn that you can't party all the time. 
Oh, yeah. You can't. Yeah. And some of us maybe learn the hard way. Don't raise your hand. Don't look guilty. Don't cut your eyes at nobody else. Some of us learn that you can stay at the party too long. Yeah, too long. Despite all the good things that Samson has going in his life, one would think that we could continue writing the end of this story and it would be a happy story. Guess what? It's not. This story does not have a happy ending. It does not. Uh, it's a tragedy, as a matter of fact. Because Samson went from hero to zero, from victor to the victim because of disobedience, because of defeat. He was disgraced. And destruction came into his life. With all this stuff that he started with, he still couldn't claim victory in his life. Somebody ought to say, wow. Yeah, somebody in here ought to say, I can't believe that. Somebody ought to say, uh-oh, am I in that space? Have I been given everything? Have I been set up for success? And what's expected from me based on this? Because if it can happen to Samson with all that God has blessed him with, you know, show no. You ought to learn a lesson from his life. So let me give you this first thing about Samson that you ought to take note of. And while I'm using a specific gender reference, male to female, I want you to know this is an equal opportunity sermon. It can absolutely go the other way. Instead of it being Samson, this could be Samsonetta. All right. Or Samsonita or whatever, not Samsonite. That would be luggage, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you know, it could be the other way around. Because plenty of women are set up for success these days from the house. And the choices that are made put them in a bad position. All right. But the first thing you should know is while Samson was bold before men, he was weak with women. Weak with women. Come on, man. You walk into the party, you all devoted up. Muscular with your little shirt on down the middle. You know, you're smart. All the girls want to be around you and you're scared of them. You're afraid. Yeah, zero game. Zero game. The dude sitting over there in the corner with the computer got more pull than you do. You have zero confidence when it comes to dealing with women. And it put him in his the world of her tore his life up. Tore his life up. Because his rival, though exemplified by women, his rival was really his character. Yeah. As reflected by his relationship with women. Bold before men, weak with women, Spirit of the Lord upon him, but instead of concentrating on that which God would have him to do, he spent his life feeding his appetites. What does that mean? That means he liked to have fun all the time. Just, 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 just for my information as I move along, how many of y'all like to have fun? Raise your hand. Ooh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah, you can stand down. Yeah. 
How many of y'all like to have fun all the time? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, this is the problem with having fun all the time. If you have fun all the time, it ain't fun no more. That, that, that's the thing. It, let, let me give it to you like this. Young folk, how many of y'all like going to Six Flags over George? Raise your hand. Nobody? One person? Okay, whatever. Two people. Pam. Yeah, oh, and other folks. <laughs> yeah, young folk and Pam. <laughs> Yeah, people love going to the music park. At least until we got to a point where we were scared. But anyway, but what would be the difference if you lived at Six Flags Over Georgia? If you live there, if riding the ride, you could do it all day, every day, it wouldn't matter. You don't even need no ticket. Just go get on it. Stay there all day. Every day you can ride over and over again. Suddenly you ain't scared no more. In fact, you can tell, here come the drop. I mean, you, you, you know how it feels. Suddenly, fulfilling that all day long takes some joy from it. And it's not the same thrill that it was. If you go once or twice a year, it still has that exhilaration to it. And it's like that. I can tell you this. Uh, and I'm just going to go and break it down, down, down. Having, I, I, I went to college. I went to college, and I knew what it was to have, uh, you know, parties on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday. I ain't going to tell you we didn't sometimes have a party on a Sunday. Yeah, but 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 y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, don't be looking at me like with studious eyes. Like some of y'all didn't have no Sunday parties. Yeah. Um. But every now and then, you got to go to class. You, you, you got to go study. You got to sit in your room and buckle down because you can do that the whole first semester you're in college. And guess what? That, they bring you in, hopping and having a good time. It starts on the party, party scene. And you realize that if you want to, you can go from party to party every week because somebody having a party every week. Somewhere on campus and off campus, you learn that there's a home campus scene and then there's a community scene, depending on where you are. And there's always some little club or bar dive open somewhere. Problem is, if you do that all semester, the first semester, you probably won't get no second semester. You learn that, yeah. If you do it all, I mean, you can get down the whole first semester. You're the life of the party. The whole first semester and the second semester, you back at Walmart. Second growth. When are you going back to school? Oh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get my finances together. Because you didn't take care of your business, you learned that you got to separate party from progress. Samson didn't do that. Yeah. Samson was called upon, he was sent to Israel to declare war upon its enemies. That was his purpose. That's why God sent him to Israel. He was the sunshine to bring darkness to the whole country's, I mean, to bring light to the whole country's darkness. That was his purpose. But instead of fighting the enemies, 
he started fraternizing with the enemy. He started hanging out with the enemy. He would fight the Lord's battles by day and party with the enemies at night. It literally is what he was doing. Sunshine was his name, but he ended his life literally in darkness. Literally in darkness. He ended his life. He went to incredible highs in the service of the Lord. But he also went to incredible death because of his lack of judgment and lack of character. If you had told him at the beginning, and this is why I want, I want, I want this. If you had told him in the beginning that his life would end the way it ended, he probably would have hurt you to say that you were lying. Now, 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 Andre, make that plain. I have never met a drug addict who said, I want to be a drug addict. I've never met one who said, yeah, my goal in life was to, to you know, be walking around Birmingham, geeking homes on the street with nobody to go to. That, that was my goal in life. I'm, I'm successful. I'm successful. I can sleep under any bridge I want to. I've never seen anybody say my purpose in life is to ruin my relationship with the folk I love. I've never seen anybody say I want to grow up feeling the need that I got to shoplift to take care of myself every day. I've never seen anybody say I want to grow up being able to get drunk all day every day and getting to a point where I need alcohol like I need air. I've never heard anybody say that, and I have literally dealt with thousands of people with something to be proud. And all of them start out wanting to do well. And then choices get in the way. Choices sometimes. Sometimes other things, but choices. What are the choices? Because I told you Samson was set up for success. Let me tell you this. This is for whatever age you are. You're young, that's fine. There are three people sitting in your seat right now. Three people in the seat you're in. And it is the person you are right now. The person you are right now. The one you could be for God. And the one you could be for the enemy. Question is, which one will you strengthen? Which one will you grow? Famous writer once said, the one that it's watered, is the one that grows. Which one will you feed? So Samson paid a really high price for his low living, y'all. Let me tell you what he did. First of all, how he did it. First of all, he did about dishonoring his parents. He dishonored his parents. Started out. First step in just about everybody's downward journey is to step away. If you've been fortunate enough to have God and the parents, believe me, the older you get, the more gracious you are for that. Thank God that I had somebody who showed me right from wrong, taught me how to treat people, taught me how to deal with it, and who gave me the foundation of a relationship with somebody bigger than me. All right? Someone, and in our instance, we came from a Christian background. Now, I'm sitting here telling you right now, I'm thankful to God 
that we had praying leadership in our family. Not only did they show us and tell us what it was, they encouraged us to have that kind of relationship. It wasn't none of this, I'm going to let you get old enough and choose. No, this was, I'm going to show you how you should go. I'm going to give you an example. And the biggest example that I can give you is how I live my life. Now, that's not to say they were perfect, because nobody's perfect. But even in their failures every day, they got up trying to be better. Got up trying to show us a different way. Every kind of way. And so that means even in their failures, we could see the contrition, we could see the sadness in their lives, and we could see them trying to make things right in the eyes, not just us, of the Lord. They taught us that. So, but he dishonored his parents. They placed him in the right place. They told him, Deborah, to avoid being unequally yoked. They told him that. They, they specifically said, do not marry outside of your faith. I know we're living in the world, but you don't have to be of the world. You don't have to sow your seed to someone who does not have the same faith system. And guess what messed Samson up? He dishonored them. Look, Scripture has told us a threefold cord is not one that's easily broken. All right? Husband, wife, God. But when the God isn't holding the two of them together, it's just easy for them to become untwined. That's the complication. It's easier for them. Exodus 20 and 12 says, Honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God gives thee. He says, honoring your parents brings with it its own benefit. Samson thumbed his nose at his parents and ended up dying young because of that. Not only did he dishonor his parents, he, dis, uh, he deserted his promise. Deserted his promise. Look, he took the Nazarite vow. Samson did. He took the Nazarite vow. But in chapter 14, I told you we were going to work through this. Chapter 14, specifically verse 5, the Bible says he went down to a, to a region. Went down. All right? <laughs> Basically, that's a metaphor for him leaving what he had. He departed from what he was used to, even though geographically it was saying he was traveling to a different place. But he really did go down. When you start running from God, I don't care where you go, you're going down when you're running from God. You read the story of Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh. He went the other way. He went down. And literally, you see, Jonah ended up going down, 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 as far as anyone could ever go. And he stayed on the downward trajectory until he started going back the way God wanted him to go. What does it say? What does it say in chapter 14? It says, he went down to the vineyards. Now, didn't I tell you one of the things that the Nazarites were not supposed to do was be around the fruit of the vine? And he went to a vineyard, place he wasn't supposed to be. And you say, well, that's just a small thing. That's just, you know, you know nobody's paying attention. 
that. It's a small thing. But it's when you start flirting with someone that you get on the slippery slope. Yeah, when you start doing the little thing, just a little bit. You know, you always got that uncle that always want to give you some of his Budweiser. Oh, there's always one in every family because he got to be cool. Yeah, he got to be cool. What you got, Uncle Donnell? What you know about this? You don't know nothing about this. Come here, I'm going to let you drink some of this. Don't you tell your mama. I always want somewhere. Now, don't act like you don't know them. And if you don't know who they are, check yourself. Maybe you, Uncle Sippy. Flirting with ill-gotten gain. Flirting. Yeah. Flirting with the problems that come. And I, and I love this because, I'm going to say this, in this passage, if you look at it, he was traveling with his mom and dad. Traveling with his mom and dad. And even though his mom and dad, they loved him so much. Come on, you can't love little pretty so much that you start giving in to stuff that's wrong just to keep little pretty happy. You got to be strong and convinced that right is right, no matter how good it is. And then I'm going to go on and say this right now. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. There's a whole lot of folk who live off the ill-gotten gain of their children. They know they're out there doing wrong, but they won't call wrong wrong because they benefit from the wrong that's going on. Yeah, because in the end, you know, Alabama Power will take money. That's money that you earn nine to five or money that comes in otherwise, but it's still money. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Not only that, in that same story, it says that while they were in the vineyard, watch this, that he slipped away from his mom and daddy. And while he was there, a lion came about him. And he was able to, because of his extraordinary strength, kill the lion. And he was able to do it in such a way that his parents didn't see him. So he secreted the lion away that he killed. Yeah, because I don't care how close you and your children are. They don't tell you everything. We best friends. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not. Because I don't have to lie to my best friend. Yeah. They love me and my ugly. The stuff I do wrong, my best friend does. So I don't have to lie to them. In fact, that's why they're my best friend. Because <laughs> I don't have to lie to them. They know the secrets. Yeah. And so when you lying to your parents, can't put that best friend thing on. Yeah, and you don't want to be your child's best friend. No, 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 no. No, because best friends don't punish each other. And sometimes you have to punish your children. And they're not going to like you when you do that. It's just not going to happen. So he hides the lion. They leave and they come back. And when they come back, the carcass is there. The lion's body is there. And he goes to it. What's he not supposed to do? So he's in a vineyard with the carcass of the lion. Two things he's not supposed to do. And he starts playing with 
his rights. Because in the carcass of the lion, bees have built a hive. And, and honey is being produced in the carcass of the lion. And he takes of the honey and gives it to his mom and dad. Ill-gotten gain. You got me. She thought I was making that up. That's just like paying your phone, dude. Just sharing in the ill-gotten game. Honey from the enemy is what that is. It's sweet, but oh, it's sour. Sweet, but it's sour. The deeper you go in sin, the more blind you become. Samson was becoming more and more blind by what he was doing. So he had deserted his promise, and then he distorts his purpose. Because he starts playing games with the Philistines. Because in that same vineyard, the devil said, I'm, I'm two for two. Let me go on for one more. In the vineyard just happened to be a pretty little pretty. Oh, yeah. And he, he likes pretty little pretty. And so he's drawn to her. So much so, the Bible says, <laughs> the writer was magnificent, and he liked her. All right, so he ends up marrying her, and therein lies the problem. So he stepped away from what his parents have taught him. He's in places doing what he's not supposed to be doing, and he is now married to a Philistine woman, and he is into it immediately with her folks. They're having bad relationships, his in-laws, and he don't get along because he's trying to be smarter than everybody else, giving them a riddle that they cannot solve. Gave them a riddle that pertained to the honey in the lion. There's no way they could know the answer to the riddle. There, there's no way in the world they could have ever figured it out, except what he didn't realize was the Philistines pulled his wife aside and threatened to kill her and her family and said, if you don't find out, because, because they had promised to give him rich riches if he didn't come up with the riddle. They didn't come up with the riddle. And so she goes back and she convinces him, let's just say that, she convinces him to tell him the secret to the riddle. And when she does, he goes back and she goes back and tells the Philistines, they guess the riddle, thus not having to pay him the bounty he was expecting. And he's mad. So he starts tearing up his folks at their house. Let's just say he's at war with his in-laws now. But look, can you see what's happening? He's playing games with his in-laws. He's playing games with his wife. He's doing nothing for the Lord. And he was sent to Israel to fight the Lord's battles. Instead of fighting the Lord's battles, he's fighting his own battles. He's playing his own games. He's completely off his purpose and using the gifts that God has given him to fight for something that doesn't even matter. This is what happens. You still have gifts. You're still smart. You still got a degree, but you ain't using it for nobody but you. You're not helping anybody else with the results of that. You're just, you just living large, playing games, not doing anything to benefit the kingdom, just you. And that's when you know you've distorted your purpose. And that's when you start praying that the Lord will validate your negative choice. Yeah, you start trying to jump from job to job for more money, but the more money don't come with more kingdom building benefits. It's just benefiting you. And the Lord will, sometimes in his permissive will, step back 
and allow you to do those things. But just because he gives you space doesn't mean you got his grace to do that. Samson's playing games, so he has distorted his purpose, and then lastly, he defied his purity. He defied his purity. Because sin will take you further than you ever want to go. Cost more than you want to pay. That's what sin will do for you. Proverbs 5, 3 and 5 says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps, steps take hold on hell. The devil never shows us how our story is going to end when we're in this space, y'all. No, no. He draws you onto the pathway and then leads you to your own devices. Not only that, one thing you should get from Samson's story is that sin is blinding. It desensitizes you. As you move along, you stop feeling that sin is wrong the more you're into sin. Yeah, it becomes, it becomes normal to you. And when sin is normalized, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble. And Samson was in trouble. Watch this. Proverbs 6, 32 and 33 says, But whoso committed adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. And he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his rep reproach shall not be wiped away. Samson was defiling his purity just based on his own desire. And then lastly, Samson deluded his power. So this first wife he had with the Philistines ended up, honestly, because of Samson's interaction with her, she and her whole, whole family key. And he later meets his nemesis, the one who he thought was his ever love. I guess her name is Delilah. Delilah comes along and puts him in the same situation. Why? Because he's weak for women. And the enemy knows how to get to him now. The enemy knows who he's looking for. And so he keeps sending the same kind of women to Samson because he's weak too. He's got a woman type, and they're not holy. They don't help him. They just appeal to him from a fleshly desire, but they have no moral fiber or character. And Delilah comes to him and knows his number before he, she meets him. And Delilah, his wife, is able to sail him down the river for a thousand pieces of silver. She sails him away a thousand pieces of silver and sets him up for the fall. Set him up. Now she finds out and uses every womanly charm she has to convince him to tell her the secret of his strength. And he starts playing with her as if he's smarter than everything, everyone else. That's another problem. Same thing he did with the first. And she cried, cried for a whole week. Oh, you won't tell me. You don't love me. You need to tell me. And finally, he's so weary of her asking that he tells her the secret of his strength lies in his unshorn hair. 
And if my hair is cut, then I will lose my strength. He is drunk with the appetites of this world. And it cost him literally his life. Because when she goes back and trades her information, you, you do know that the most valuable thing anybody can ever sell is information. Yeah. It's more valuable than gold to some folks. When she trades her knowledge of his strength to the Philistines, they pay her the thousand dollars and they say, You got one more thing to do. All right, you got to go in there and get him drunk so we can cut his hair. And that's what she did. And when she finished, she jumped up as if he was in trouble and screamed, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And when he jumps up, he realizes at that moment, chapter 16, verse 20, that the Lord had left him. All this good that's in him, he gave away for nothing, literally for nothing. And they grab him and they can subdue him and they can beat him. But sunshine sees sunshine no more because they also blind him. They blind him. He has lost his strength. He's lost his sight. He's lost his way. And they throw him in the dungeon, they sell him as a slave. It's horrible what's happened to Israel's hope. Israel's sunshine is now in a dark dungeon, sold as a slave. But amazingly, while he's there, his hair starts to grow back. And his hair grows enough. And Samson does the last good thing he'll ever do. And that is pray that the Lord will give him strength to fight one more battle for him. And they bring him into the great hall. All the Philistines are there making fun of him. The one they used to fear, they now jeer. The one they used to, uh, they used to run from, they now taunt. And he's standing there between two pillars, bound. This is what you always, this is what you always see on TV. Or, I mean, in the story. He's standing there. He prays that the Lord will give him strength. And the Lord grants him that grace. Always oh, grace. He grants him grace one more time for extraordinary strength. And Samson pulls the pillars in. And the pillars are holding the roof to the building. And so when he pulls the pillars in, the roof collapses, killing everybody in the building, including himself. That's his sacrifice. Because of the way he lived, he ultimately ended up sacrificing his whole life. Now, that ain't no celebration for me because it did not have to be that way. He had simply followed what the Lord would have him to do. Can I tell you this? The Lord would rather forgive than judge. He would. He would rather forgive you. At any point, Samson could have gotten back on the straight and narrow and the Lord would have forgiven him would have blessed him, would have welcomed him back into the fold. And yet Samson couldn't see his way in time. And so he put himself in a different position. Can I tell you, don't presume that your youth 
your talent, your strength, or your faith will always be under your command. Can I tell you, no matter how faithful you are, no matter how old you are, that faith can be given to you as an extraordinary gift as well. We've studied this. All right. And life will put you in a situation where not only do you question everything about you, you question your faith, too. And you have to ask the Lord, Lord, give me faith enough in this situation to believe you under these circumstances because life is tearing me up right now. And even though I've walked with you all these years, I just don't know where I stand with you right now. And so don't think, don't be arrogant enough to think that your faith is going to see you all the way to the end without the Lord's help. You need the Lord in everything you do. All of these things can be stripped away from you just like they were stripped away from Sam Samson. Don't let your commitments to your family, to yourself, to God end up like Samson's hair cut away because of the people you put around. Don't let them come and destroy your life like that. God desires to lead us from tragedies like this. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening to what God has to say? He's been trying to talk to us in so many ways. He sent us so many, so many tellers of the story, so many examples of the story, none greater, of course, than Jesus, the greatest example of how much he loves us. Do you know Jesus? In, 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 in May of 2002, a man named Leonardo Diaz, who was a Colombian hiker, became lost from a group of hikers when they were on a trip in the Andes Mountains. Snowing, that was freezing, it's blizzard weather. They were used to some of those elements, but it had taken a bad turn. He became separated from them. And although he had the necessary supplies he thought for the normal trip they would take, it seems like in the end he realized he was underprepared. He had a cell phone in his backpack. And at the time, 2002, like a lot of people, he existed on prepaid minutes on his cell phone. And they had expired. No way to signal for help. He had resigned himself to the fact that I'm not going to make it. And so he lay there in the snow, frigid weather, preparing to die. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there his cell phone rang. What in the world? Just so happened that the cell phone rang because it was a sales rep from his cell phone company trying to sell him some more minutes. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to slide this in here. Probably would have come up today like spam risk. Can I tell you something? You better answer that spam risk sometime. Because it may be bringing what you need. I know we're in the habit of always rejecting that. And so because that phone rang, he was able to give the coordinates to, <laughs> to the company. 
And it was actually Bell South. And every 30 minutes for the next seven hours that it took them to find him, they called to make sure he was still okay. They could tell because of the temperatures and where he was that hypothermia was setting in and he would have been in trouble really quickly if they had not found him. But the point I'm trying to make to you is this man had given up all of ever being rescued. This man had given up any expectation that any means that he had would make the difference in his tomorrow. And out of nowhere, a phone call came. And I came to tell you today, today's message to you, if it's for you, is a phone call. Letting you know, will you answer? Don't reject the call. And don't wait till you run out of minutes before you answer. God, he's waiting. He's calling. He wants you. To answer the call, and all he wants me to let you know is, I love you. I'm waiting. Be mine. Do the things I ask you to do. So right now, I'm empowered to extend an invitation for those of you who never answered the call from the Lord. I'm empowered to extend an invitation to you. Accept the gift of salvation and eternal life that he has given. Accept the gift Make your relationship with him a permanent one. And perhaps you've already accepted that gift and today is the day you've been looking for just another turn. Somewhere to call your own. I extend that invitation to you. While the ensemble stands to sing this song, the choir stands to sing this song, the doors of our church will lie.